Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome in to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is July 18th, 2016, and this is episode 172. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to our voice right now, it's most likely you're doing it on our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us at the Baltimore Sports Report over at the Baltimore Sports Report Network at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, and always find us with other great baseball shows on baseballtalkradio.com. You can listen to Bird's Eye View on third-party platforms like Google Play Music and iTunes. And please, rate and review the show. We'd really appreciate it. Lastly, you can find us all over social media. Check us out most frequently on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. Jake, can I ask you a question? Yeah. If they're already listening to us, then why do we need to get the intro? If you are listening to this show right now because it came up on your iTunes feed, you have no idea where we're available or not on social media. You're also maybe not aware that um, as an agreement for Bird's Eye View, um, we are also broadcast to the Southern Arkansas prisons. So we like to let the inmates know as well where they can go and listen to us. It's kind of a form of communal punishment basically going forward. So here's out to you, uh, Junction 7 out there in uh, Southern Arkansas. Well, Scotty, I think I think we've laid the groundwork for this, but what is your drink of the week? Jake, I'm going with a Brewer's Art Beasley Golden Ale. Now, for those that don't recognize that one, this is the old Aussie beer from Brewer's Art. Um, definitely so, one of my favorites, but it's definitely, as we call it, the C&D beer. Cease and desist. Cease and desist, yes. Jake, what about yourself? I am drinking my standard Monday night uh, gin and tonic. Not a special gin. I'm drinking uh, New Amsterdam, uh, which is pretty drinkable. It's nothing fantastic, yeah. but it's a good everyday gin. Uh, with uh, I would call it heavy on the lime tonight. Mm. Well, you can always go out and get a local gin with Baltimore Shot Tower Gin, just as a recommendation in the future. Also, uh, gin recommendation time, because that's apparently what we do here. Yes. Um, Plymouth. My brother bought me Plymouth for possibly Christmas, and that is a very, very good gin. Incredibly drinkable. It smells medicinal when you open the bottle, but it is really smooth and great. All right, with that, if we need something medicinal... I think it's time we go ahead and dabble into the medical wing. Time for your checkup, time for your checkup. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. Gonna listen to your heart, then fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. So, good amount of folks in the medical wing this week. Uh, Hunsu Kim is still getting over his hamstring injury, who... He's still not on the DL. Do you think that's going to happen, or do you think he's going to pull through? 
Uh, I, I Maybe think, I shouldn't use the word pull. That's 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 my bad. I think it makes the most amount of sense right now to basically put him on the DL and just backdate it uh, accordingly, so you can get at least somebody up here. It wouldn't shock me for the Orioles to go out and oh, you know, maybe bring up a bullpen arm um, for three or four days uh, in order to basically get by um, and just ride a short bench for the time being. But yeah, I don't think I think Hansu Kim is heading to the DL um, in, in the near future. How about yourself? What do you think? I, I think he pulls through. I think if they were going to DL him, they would have done it already. Uh, you know, with those extra four days because of the all-star break, I think that was the perfect time to do it. Uh, I think I think he's almost ready, which is why they haven't done it. Speaking of someone who is almost ready, Darren O'Day will be pitching a simulated game on Tuesday. You know, he might be able to be available by the end of this week. The Orioles are kind of being a little quiet in that regard. But Darren O'Day finally is getting back to actual pitching once again, which is it's about time. It's about time. I think this is stretched on a lot longer than any of us thought it would have. Absolutely. And hopefully, again, he comes back healthy. Um, speaking of hopefully he comes back healthy, Scott, tell me about Hunter Harvey in a way that won't make me sob. He's young. <laughs> That's not good enough. Say something else that won't make me sob. Um, nope. Don't got anything. But yeah, Hunter Harvey... Uh, went out with a uh, flexor mass strain, which, again, is prognosis for, hey, let's go see Dr. James Andrews. That is code for pre-Tommy John. Yes. Uh, oh, gosh. So this has kind of been coming up for a while now, and we talked about it last year when um, Hunter Harvey was having issues, and we said, well, he should just go get the Tommy John surgery done now. It certainly seems like Tommy John surgery is all but inevitable um, coming up in the future. I'm sure here's what I'm predicting. He's going to go see Dr. James Andrews. Dr. James Andrews is going to say, you know what? Let's give it six weeks. We're going to inject this plasma-rich <laughs> platelets into platelets, you. Right. And we're going to see what happens. And we're going to delay the process six weeks longer so that we can further set you back from becoming a decent pitcher. So what you're saying is that eventually he's going to be a closer for the Baltimore Orioles. Now, what I'm saying is he is going to uh, eventually be released by the Baltimore Orioles. He's going to sign with the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> he's going to be turned into an outfielder, and then he's going to play in the, in the independent league. All right. I like that. I like that. That's um, Dark Ages time That right is there. Dark Ages. <laughs> and for those of you that get those references, good for you. Uh, lastly, look, Scott, sometimes this team makes me sick to my stomach, and apparently I'm not the only one. Sitting out the game on Monday night against the Yankees, Crush, the big fella, the loaded gun, Chris Davis, got apparently a stomach flu, and is that going through the team right now, or is this an isolated event? Apparently it's going through the team. Matt Weeders apparently was having uh, similar issues, too. So, Adam Jones, if you want you guys to stay hungry... Make sure you're cooking that food all the way through when you're serving it to them. All right. Well, um, with that, I think it's time that we should condense this as much as possible. Maybe into 140 characters or less. Let's do it. This week on the Twitters, I want to start with a great tweet from Sarah Rowe, who tweets at Sarah 03Brown, the wife of Chaz Rowe, and Frankly, I'm not sure what to make of it. If you haven't seen the picture, you need to go check out this tweet. She tweets out, So I've been asked about the quote-unquote mullet. It's in progress. It's in progress. Crying laughing face emoji, Chaz Rowe. And, uh, Scotty, how would you describe the picture of Chaz Rowe's hair that we see here? Um, Yankee-ish? <laughs> go check that out and make sure you... uh 
Make sure you don't ever do that to a person. Yeah. Uh, next week goes into the oh big, big category. This comes from Rock Abaku. You can follow him at Mass and Rock. Of course, I'm sure you are. Buck asked if we could name one poison song. I blurted out, talk dirty to me. His reply, what? Me? The song. The song is called that. You know Buck sent him off for that. I see what he did there. Yeah. Um, all right. So my next tweet, um, well, I've got a confession, Jake. Um, I would like to apologize to Birdland profusely. Um, this tweet comes to from Utah Street Report. You can follow them at Utah ST Report. At Bird's Eye View BAL, that genie needs to go back in the bottle, followed by the CSI GIF of them putting the glasses on. So, Jake... We're five years into this, and we've I've always dropped a little bit of lyrics here, a little bit of singing there. Jake, I, I'm officially announcing my retirement. I am done singing. I'm over it. Did you just drop the mic and I, walk away? I'm dropping the mic and walking away. There's no coming back from what just happened at the bevies. Scott, I... I don't, I'm not sure I can accept that as an answer. Your, your musical prowess is something that I look forward to every year at the bevies. Um, you keep using that word, but I don't think you know what it means. <laughs> All right. Next, I want to go to a tweet that comes from Jonah Carey, who tweets at Jonah Carey. And, you know, he, he was talking about the Orioles maybe needing some, some starting pitching. And when I respond to him saying that this was basically a, a scheduled tweet, he responded with this at Bird's Eye View BAL. They're in first place, though. Maybe terrible starting pitching is the new market inefficiency. Hmm. 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 That's what we call rose-colored glasses wishful thinking. And uh, our last tweet comes from bittered and annoyed journalist for 200, Alex. This comes from Peter Schmuck at Schmuckstop. Red Sox play Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball for a third time this year. Always have no weekend games this year against the Red Sox. Surprised? Question mark. I'm a little confused about this. They played the Red Sox earlier this year on a weekend. So is he just forgetting the past that has occurred? Or Look, he's not here to tweet about the past. Okay. Speaking of... Uh, Why would a journalist want to you know, talk about the past? You know, It's only their job. But oh, well, that's okay. Go ahead. Continue on. Look, look. You're saying that Peter Schmuck has reached a new low. And I appreciate that. I do. But that's not the only game in town that's reached a new low. Scott, let's go into the, the bitter details. So the Orioles entered into Sunday's game after a beautifully pitched game by Chris Tillman, who went seven innings pitched, and it was followed by Brad Brock coming in the eighth inning and Zach Burton coming in to close it out. It was the type of game that Orioles fans have to ask themselves, why can't we have more of those? And then Sunday happened. Orioles Twitter exploded with anticipation. The phrase hashtag Bundy Fun Day was out there. Um, but what props proceeded... Can I, can I stop you there for a second? The Bundy Fun Day? Yeah. I, I saw too many things happening here on Orioles Twitter, so we need to stop and have a yeah. lesson in puns. Because, folks, if it was it, hashtag Bundy Fun Day, you missed it. It's Bunday Fun Day. Yeah. And, and then I saw a lot of references to Bundy taking the place of the word Sunday. And I get I saw uh, Bunday, Bloody Bunday. And look, that was not the song reference that needed to get made. First of all, it was easy like Bunday morning. 
Secondly, the Orioles offense was lazing on a Monday afternoon. Mm. Look, if you're not willing to go past the easy Orioles Twitter, you need to just retire. Because some people here in Birdland are bringing their A game. And if you're not among them, I do not want to hear your Monday Funday puns. So next week, or whenever I guess he pitches on a Sunday, I want to see you turn up your game, or I don't want to know you. So, Jake, you're holding Orioles Twitter accountable for inadequate wordplay. Yes. Okay. Yes. In the case of Monday Funday, you had enough time to plan, and if you didn't come up with better than that, that's your that's on you. In fact, I would say that loss is on you. Wow. That's kind of harsh. Well, let's go to that game. Um, what proceeded with Monday Funday was uh, a very meh-like game. So Dylan Bundy came in, um, threw for three and a third innings pitched, five hits, four runs, um, four strikeouts, three walks, and most impressively, three home runs in the three and a third. Uh, 70 pitches thrown, 41 strikes outs, uh, 41 foot strikes. Uh, Vance Worley came in to rescue Dylan Bundy, pitching a one and a third, and then um, afterwards it was announced that uh, Vance Worley would be Pitching Tuesday's game, and it's been announced as of Monday night that Dylan Bundy will be pitching Friday's game. So it certainly seems like Vance Worley and Dylan Bundy are out of the bullpen and, um, well, kind of going to go start to get spot starts. Um, and Trevor Bundy's situation is really not a spot start. It's a start after another start. So I guess the question is, what's the big deal here? And why am I bringing this up? Because it's news. I mean, it's going to happen. The big deal I have is um, the Orioles are putting themselves somewhat behind the eight ball by leveraging uh, a significant benefit that they saw during the first half with their long men relief pitchers um, for what it looks like short start innings. So Dylan Bundy's coming in, pitching three and a third, and then they're bouncing off this idea of the piggyback idea, which was originally thrown out by Matt Perez of Cannon Depot, and but again was mentioned by Dan Duquette in several interviews that followed, saying the Orioles were hoping they could piggyback starts together and and kind of work around it, but. My problem with this is if you take Bundy and Worley out of the bullpen, you're left with these following long relief pitchers. You're left with Odrismer Despagne, Chaz Rowe, and Ibaldo Jimenez, who are all long relief pitchers. All right, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. Can we call Chaz Rowe a long reliever? I mean, I know he can go more than one. He yeah. might be able to give you two, but do you consider that long relief? Let's call it a multi-inning reliever at best, okay? But I totally agree with you, and I think that's a great point, Jake. If you look at Vance Worley and you look at what Dylan Bunny has been giving you, both of them have been two-plus inning pitchers. Mm-hmm. I don't think Chaz Rowe can give you more than two innings, and it's two clean innings. So in reality, he's going to be somewhere in that one to two inning stretch, and that's it. So you've gone and ahead said, we're going to take one of our early pitchers and replace it with someone that can't go as long in the game, which maybe you're okay with if you think that the other pitchers can get deeper into the game. But it's a dangerous game to play. And because whoever they are, the third through fifth start in the Orioles rotation haven't been able to go long, you've needed those rescue pitchers. And Worley and Bundy, and to an extent Despagne, have been those rescue pitchers. And if you take those guys out of the bullpen and put them into the rotation, they're not available to bail out the other ineffective starters. Right. And let's come back to the the fact that Dylan Bundy and Vance Worley have done an exceptional job as the long reef pitchers. This is not, we're basically rewarding them saying, you guys did such a good job as long men. They were going to basically bring you in and let you be starters. But the options, let's go to Odrismer Despagne. Odrismer Despagne has posted up in a very impressive 2.87 ERA as a long man. That's, that's pretty good. Um, but here's my issue with it. 
If you look at the peripherals for Idris Mertesbanya, you can see, well, some scary things. 3.45 Ks per nine, and his walk rate is 5.17 walks per nine innings. Jake, his FIP. Living on the edge. Yeah, his FIP is 4.94. His XFIP is 5.93 compared to his 2.87. It screams explosion coming in the near future. I got to be honest. Yeah. I was on to you, Scotty. Mm. When you lead with ERA, yeah, I know the other foot's about to drop. The other foot's about to drop. Although sometimes it comes back to ERA is high and FIP is low, but yeah, it normally comes back to me saying, we've got an ERA FIP deviation here, and uh, it's time for us to take a greater look at it. But Good old FIP deviation. So the one question comes back to with Darren O'Day now pitching simulated games on Tuesday, and if Darren O'Day is able to come back this weekend, what does that do for the Baltimore Orioles? And I think it offers... a. a the benefit of Brad Brock comes back out of the eighth inning spot and Brad Brock can be open back up to being that multi-inning relief pitcher that we we've used in the past. And I think you have to be a little bit worried about how much work he's had so far this season. But if Brad Brock can come back and be that multi-inning pitcher occasionally, I think that opens up a lot of options. And it also means that Givens can go multi-innings and also not have to be so worried about left-handers all the time as well. So um, I think getting Darren O'Day certainly alleviates some of the issues that we've been talking about with the long relief pitchers. Um, but I'm a little concerned still about <laughs> having a Drew Smoke and Chaz Rowe as your, as your long man in this pen at this time. Well, let's look at Rowe. I think Rowe is a short-term problem. And, and I say that because Rowe has shown that he can be very effective. I mean, for, for a short time, Rowe was one of the best relievers in baseball, right? So he's clearly got enough. Was that for a week? It was short, but for, okay. there was a period. He was very effective when he first burst on the scene. And here's the thing. He clearly has the ability to be good in short spurts. It's just, does he get overexposed, or do the Orioles use exactly what he can provide and then ship him back to the minors? I think he's the first guy to go when uh, Darren O'Day comes back. But the other question is, we've got a second lefty in the pen mm-hmm. right now. I assume he stays. <sighs> We've seen two him face two hitters. It's I mean, and this is Donnie Hart for anybody that it's, it doesn't know who we're talking about. We've seen him face two hitters, and who knows? I mean, I he's nothing really besides just a meh pitcher. But the Orioles have nothing else. I mean, they basically are going through the cupboard. One of those two guys is going to leave when Darren O'Day comes back, and so the question then becomes: What does your bullpen construction look like? I assume that they're not going to drop. Abaldo Jimenez. I assume that that is a roster spot that they're just going to eat and live with and basically deal with him as mop-up duty. Like a rule five pick, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's a follow-up question, though, Scott. Is that the right move, considering what Abaldo Jimenez can do when he's right, even if that's only going to be a guy that you bring in and out of the bullpen? Um, at this moment, I'd actually say, no, I don't think it's the right move. I think that Abaldo Jimenez, and, and this isn't just me railing about Abaldo Jimenez. I think you look at it and say, you need to maximize as much as you can for this season. And while Abaldo Jimenez may have some value next season, um, and he might get it turned around. The reality is you're in a complete toss up division right now. And you basically need to maximize as many moves as you can. And maximizing your bullpen is something the Orioles have done very well in the past, and almost relying on a uh, on a Rule Five pick basically in that bullpen in, in a Baldo Menes to a certain aspect. Um, I said aspect, by, by the way, that's a ring of the bell. Um, it, it isn't great. Here's a name that I am really interested in: is 
Would you be willing to get rid of Abaldo Menez in order to bring a player like Mike Wright into the bullpen? Well, I, I think you're baiting me because Mike Wright, I believe, is the next Tommy Hunter. Correct. I think we actually both feel this way. Uh, I think that Mike Wright has what it takes to, on short, in short spurts, get it done. In those short spurts, he can tar- turn the uh, velocity all the way up to 97, 98. And he has the starter's repertoire of having a decent off-speed pitch and maybe even a breaking pitch that he can go to. Um, and, you know, if you want to put that in the sixth and the seventh sure. as, a, as a rescue. Yeah. Uh, to bridge to an excellent back of the bullpen, I absolutely think if that's the role that he can be comfortable with, yeah, I absolutely would drop him in as in a second for it. Yeah, and here's my thing: uh, if I'm looking at this bullpen construction and I'm saying I want to get rid of Jimenez and I'm going to start moving around pieces, I would love to see Jimenez dropped, Rowe dropped, and Despagne dropped. I would love to see Mike Wright, Tyler Wilson, and I would love to see Darren O'Dan there. If you're giving me Britton, Brock, Wright, and Wilson in the bullpen. I think it sets up really well when you've got short starts with like Gallardo has a rough start one time, or even a Gossman has a rough start. Bringing in Wright and Wilson to pitch only twice through the lineup intrigues me a lot as a long relief. Um, and, and it kind of comes back to Matt Perez's article, which was he was talking about the piggyback syndrome and saying, can you basically go up there with pitchers and let them go three innings or four innings and then say okay we're pulling you now we only we know that you've only been through the order twice but this way you're not going to get hammered and then we're going to bring in this other pitcher to go for another three innings and the other thing about having mike and wilson on the roster means that you can give each of them a spot start even if it's just a piggyback correct if you want to extend say dylan bundy's innings or or make sure that you don't get or give us some extra rest yeah can we go back to Bundy for a second sure i'm very anxious to hear your thoughts on the mic about dylan bundy it sounded to me, from reading our own Twitter account, yeah. that you were not a big fan of Bill, Dylan Bundy getting the start. And so I want to hear your thoughts about that. Okay, so first of all, I, I, I think everyone knows that I'm a very conservative in terms of how we were going to approach Dylan Bundy. I think a lot of people are. Andrew Stetka had a great article about this on Masson. Um, and it certainly seemed like the Orioles push all their chips into the table and said, we're just going to see what happens here with Dylan Bundy and, and hope for the best. Um, one of the comments that Buck made to the Baltimore Sun was, you know, Dylan's really not thinking about his arm anymore. He's just going out there and pitching, which we know is a complete boldface lie. And I'm going to call Buck out on this one because if you know, his arm wasn't hurting, he'd be throwing the slider and he'd be throwing the cutter. And he's not throwing a slider and not throwing a cutter. Now, if you want to throw the cutter off the board, that's fine. You know, if the Orioles are like, oh, the Orioles have an organization philosophy, which is not true because Chris Dillon throws a cutter. But the fact that he's not throwing a slider and he's only a three-pitch pitcher is a really bad sign for a starter regardless. So I don't think Dylan Bundy should be a starter right now. I don't think he has the arsenal to be a starter. I think he has a great arsenal to be that two- to three-inning relief pitcher. And I think that's an incredibly valuable skill set for a year where you really weren't expecting anything from Dylan Bundy. This seems like the Orioles are pushing something that they don't need to push um, and I think it's just going to come back to backfire them during this season and future seasons as well. All right. So I agree with some of the things you said. I oh, disagree. The other thing, too, I want to say, too, is people saying that Dylan Bundy was throwing the fastball way too much during this start um, is absolute pig crap. Um, and uh, it's basically the same amount that he's thrown before. It's like 63%. And again, it comes back to you're throwing three pitches. How many fastballs are you allowed to throw? Are you only allowed to like throw 50%? 
63% is a perfectly acceptable number to throw for fastball on Dylan Bundy's situation. Go so ahead. I'm going to agree with a lot of what you say there and disagree with a bit of it. And here's the thing. You, you talk about the Orioles throwing it, uh, putting, pushing all their chips in uh, because they, they you know, don't have anything left to lose. But here's the thing. They've tried so many other things. Right, they've tried to make the Mike Wright experience work, and the Baldo Jimenez uh, roller coaster, and the Tyler Wilson experience. They've tried these things, and none of those have worked. And by the way, the cupboard's empty. Oh, the cupboard's they don't have empty. anything yeah. left. So I think that this team taking a look at Dylan Bunny and saying, "Look, it looks like his arm isn't going to fall off. We're not necessarily going to endanger the future of this pitcher because he's not throwing the pitches that make him uncomfortable right now. Let's see how we can ride." I don't necessarily. I, th- I think I agree with you. It's desperation, right? But I'm not sure that it's it's. Uh, I'm not sure that's not justifiable desperation. So let me ask this question, and this is the point I want to get back to. Um, Vance Worley was announced as the starter for Tuesday. Why wasn't Vance Worley the starter for Sunday? I don't have a good answer for you there. I don't because they came in and said, "Oh, Vance Worley came in to throw the one and two thirds innings as a side session." It's like, well, that makes. Literally no sense. Like, if that's the case, then Chris Tillman should be able to come in and throw a side session and basically be a relief pitcher every so often, which that that's ridiculous. Like, there's no chance that that happens. So it just seemed like very poor scheduling and management coming right out of the All-Star break where you had a significant period of end delay. And maybe they thought, you know, Dylan Bunny has a pitch for 11 games. This is our best chance to get to see what we have from him. But then they come right back on Friday and say, you know what, we're going to throw him right back out there and just see what happens. It just seems it seems very aggressive is the best way to describe it. Uh, I, I agree it sounds aggressive because it is aggressive. I don't have a problem with it. And the thing is, if it doesn't work, they'll just move on to the next thing that doesn't work. I want to address your comment about the fastballs. Yeah. Because I'm torn, like Natalie and Bruley on this. Your favorite song ever. In, in your the, theme song. In the uh, Masson pregame. There was an interview with Jim Hunter and Dylan Bundy, and Dylan Bundy was saying, look, I know at this level I can't just get away with throwing the fastball sure, because hitters at this level can hit it out. I know that he has that opinion yeah. because he said that with his mouth sure. before the game started. If I was watching the game, I wouldn't have any way of knowing that he has that opinion. And here's the problem. yeah, I, I hear everything you say about the fact that he doesn't have his full uh, – pitch arsenal and then he wasn't really that far outside of his normal distribution he was that far outside of his distribution for the early portion of that game oh yeah and, absolutely. It, and it took him two home runs before he was ready to to more fully integrate the sure. off-speed pitches and again even if, if even if he's not working with a full deck because his arm hurts too much to throw the slider or the cutter he he needs to learn what he can do and what he can't do. And this comes back to a conversation that you and I have all the time about Kevin Gossman being pulled up and pulled down and pulled up and pulled down and being a starter and being yep. a reliever. I wonder where Kevin Gosman would be at this point in his career, at his development, if he had had at least a year under his belt, starting at the major league level, learning really unfortunate lessons at the major league level, because I guarantee you only make that that mistake one or two times, right? Yeah, You only get battered around like that a couple of times before you in game say to yourself, no, no, I'm going to shake that pitch off because that's a mistake or I'm going to throw this ball really hard, but it cannot go right down the pipe at the thigh level. And these are the things that Dylan Bundy learned the hard way during this game. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily 
the worst thing for the Orioles, particularly when, on a night-in and night-out basis, they might be able to cover five runs worth of mistakes from Dylan Bundy once every fifth day. Sure. And I think you're right. I just think it comes back to it's not as simple as don't throw a fastball. Mm -hmm. It's more of a situation of don't throw a fastball that's a groove fastball right down the middle of the plate. So, And again, that just comes back to a command situation and knowing when you can get away with a groove fastball and when you cannot get away with a groove fastball. And to a certain certain point, I think Dylan Bundy, um, I I think he's going to have to figure that out, especially as a starter um, and just and, and figure it out. So, the real question is, though, if you're the Orioles and this is the strategy that you're going with, right? Yeah. Which I'm with, defending is a strong word, which I'm okay with letting play out for a while. Yeah, but you're okay with Hayden Penn starting too. But <laughs> ooh, second callback to Dark Ages. I was even better with his bag being in that location. But if you're going to do that, how many starts do you think you can get out of him? How many innings between now and the end of the year do you think you can get out of him? And here's the thing: if you're going to limp along to hopefully the playoffs at that, you better have a backup plan for the playoffs because I I don't know that having him throw so many innings between now and hopefully October is going to leave him available to you in October if you want him to start in April. I, I can see the Orioles maybe getting five starts out of him. Okay. I mean, at best. And then the Tommy John surgery hits. Stop. <laughs> You're making me sad, Scott. And then Dr. James Andrews. It's, you know... Whatever. I mean, it's not a big deal. He's just coming back after the first time ever pitching to the length that he's doing. I mean, it's no big deal. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, wait. His arm could literally fall off. Womp, womp. Yeah. All right. Well, with that sadness all over now. Um, well, it's not over. It never ends. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're right, Jake. I was a little harsh in, in that segment, and I probably shouldn't have been. Maybe we should um, dish out some punishments in, in, in retribution. All right, so for folks that have been not following on Twitter, um, one of the big news stories that came out today in the baseball world was Christopher Correa, who um, worked for the St. Louis Cardinals, got 46 months in prison for hacking into the Houston Astros database. Ground um, control. Ground control, yep, to Major Tom, um, which will not be the only David Bowie reference. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, um, so the question we would raise is if there was crimes against Birdland, what would the sentences for these crimes be? Um, so Scotty, I'm going to need a little, I'm going to need a little mood, mood music for this. Do you think you can drum up something for, uh, some, a crime and punishment theme? Um, I can try something here. Let me see if I can get the knobs working and, oh, oh, Jake, I've got a good one. Let me, uh, let me, let me try this on you. Okay. That'll do it. That'll do for you? This will do it. Okay. All right, Scotty. We got to talk about hard crimes against Birdland. And look, if somebody is going to do the crime... No, I'm not going to finish that. They're going to they're gonna be punished. All right? What is the appropriate punishment for such things? First, I want to address the crime of having booed Hyunsoo Kim on opening day as he ran down the orange carpet. Unthinkable. Unspeakable. And so I say unto ye, Birdland, who did so, 
Offenders of this horrific crime must watch continuous footage of Dark Ages left fielders run down the orange carpet, then rush to the internet and try to find their quote-unquote highlights. I just want to see Kevin Millar come down the orange carpet and do the Ray Miller, uh, Ray Lewis dance again. The Ray Miller dance Ray would Miller. be even worse. The Ray Miller dance would even be worse <laughs> for the Dark Ages. That's three! <laughs> Alright, next crime. The Orioles' front office failing to acquire real starting pitching solution. So, this has been a pretty common crime um, in the Baltimore Orioles' Every front office. Every year, they never learn. Yeah. We should teach them a lesson, Scotty. How are we going to do that? So, what we're going to do is the sentence is going to be, they have to come in and relieve for the whole game after an Abaldo Jimenez dumpster fire at the first inning. So, they just got to take it on the on the chin. They're just going to take it on the chin. Wow. And Buck's just going to sit there with his hand underneath his butt again like he normally does and then legs crossed and just watch them burn it up on the, on the mound. All right, next. And I'm sometimes guilty of this myself. Here's the crime. You turn off the Orioles game in the middle innings, convinced that it's over. Oh, and that is a crime, especially with this year's team, especially with the magic that we have to look forward to. And so here is your punishment, Orioles fans. If you do so, I deem that you must sit in a section full of Yankees fans at Camden Yards to watch the Orioles play the Yankees dressed in a Red Sox jersey. Hmm. That's a good one. All right. Last crime. Um, this is kind of a crime that is perpetrated, well, since the Dark Ages, really. Yankees fans that, when implored to discuss baseball from 2016 or any current year, they ask how many rings your team has. So the sentence, Jake? Well, we're going to leave this up to Birdland. Twitter, let us know what crime and what kind of punishment you would give to Yankees fans when they say, how many rings does your team have? Most creative one will get mentioned next week on the show. And we'll love to share it with everybody. Um, with that, do you want to go ahead and see what the stats said last week and um, try to figure out who won some, uh, some fantasy balls? Who's the boss this week, Scotty? It was a terrible, terrible week. When it comes to rocking and natural finger popping, baby, you sure do swing. And when it comes to rocking and natural finger popping, daddy, you're the Baby, you got me beat up and down, inside and out, and across. So you're the boss. This was a terrible week, to be honest. Um, so we picked the common RBI stat in a three-game series. I picked Jonathan Scope, and you picked Chris Davis, and uh, I won it one to nothing. Well, that is exciting. That is extremely exciting. So, That's a nail biter right there. What yeah. would you have done if nobody had scored an RBI or had tacked on an RBI? Cry, <laughs> cry, deep in my sleep. All right, Jake. So um, it's tied up five five, and I guess you get to pick this week since you lost last week on that terrible, terrible stat. So I've been thinking about terrible, terrible stats, and and I basically just want to punish you at this point. So. Last week, we did a very standard stat, back-of-the-baseball-card stat, 
And one of the questions that I had recently was about K percentage for the Orioles uh, hitters. Yeah. But I feel like we've talked about this. We've talked about this before. I feel like we've done this. Yeah. And then I got to thinking about it from the pitching standpoint. Yeah. Talking about the number of pitches thrown, maybe the percentage of pitches thrown. And then I wanted to look from here. I want from the starters, Scotty, and I want to eliminate Chris Tillman from consideration. Okay. For the next week, who is the Orioles starter who is going to have the most first pitch strikes? The percentage, not number. Percentage of first pitch strikes? All right. I know the answer to this. Lay it on me. Vance Worley. Vance Worley. Fanimal. Fanimal. Time. Which just tells you how bad the starting pitching is. Well, let me tell you how bad the starting pitching is. I'm going to go with Giovanni Gallardo. I think Giovanni Gallardo has been terrible in terms of strike percentages. But here's the thing. Do you think he has the first pitch strikes? Giovanni Gallardo nibbles. Does he nibble? And once he gets strikes on a batter, gotcha. he then dances around. Gotcha. So I'm not saying... So the ball strike thing is after he gets that first strike, but he definitely nibbles afterwards. Absolutely. Gotcha. So he likes to get in a soul in the mood and be like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a nice inning. And then it's just like, why are we still watching this game right now? He's a walk tease. That's uh, a walk tease. Gotcha. All right, well, that'll be interesting. Vance Worley, we finally got Vanimal into the fantasy boss. And uh, Giovanni Guerrero. You have fantasies of Vanimal. Yep. I just want to point that out. That's fine. Who will own it? And with that, let's go ahead and find out who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, yeah, it was a short week. Let's just say that much. It uh, was tough. It, it was tough. Um, but there were some trends that I think we need to kind of recognize um, a, as of recently. So, Jake, I'm, I'm breaking my rules this week. I'm not doing the three games. I'm going to do the last 14 days because, well, I can do that because it's partially my show. You're an animal. And from that, I must say, I have to do some research. <laughs> so am I good for this? Past two weeks is going to go to J.J. Hardy, who I think has been slapping the ball over all over the place. 189 weighted runs created, plus 406 on base percentage. And the Jim Hunter stat of the week, a 10-game hitting streak coming into Monday night. Um, J.J. Hardy, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect anything from him. And uh, I'm not saying the J.J. Hardy of old is back, but it's just nice to see J.J. Hardy productive at the plate and not just a you know, a crying excuse for what he previously was. Yeah. If this is going to be the new normal, I will take this. Absolutely. I'll, I'll take a sliver of this. If this is the new normal. Um, so JD Hardy tip of the cap, because I might not ever be able to put you in the good category again. I, I, he was my good a couple of weeks he, ago. You get my good. All right. Uh, my good this week is Mark Trumbo, but not for anything that happened in, in an actual Orioles game. My good is from the home run derby. Mark Trumbo, I did not – I guess it's the the natural Orioles fan pessimism speaking through me, but I did not expect him to get through the first round. And I thought that he represented himself well at the Home Run Derby. And maybe it's somewhat colored by the fact that I was expecting a train wreck from the Home Run Derby itself. And I was actually very pleasantly surprised with the Home Run Derby. I think the new format has really worked. It's made it – it's taken it from a 
completely unwatchable mess to something that I enjoyed watching at least part of. And the best part of that, less and less of Chris Berman. Yeah. So my good is the Home Run Derby and by extension of that, Mark Trumbo. All right. So my bad for the week and really for the past two weeks is going to go to Manny Machado, who has been struggling at the plate lately. 25 weighted runs created plus over 42 plate appearances, um, posting a meager 216 Woba, a 238 on base percentage and a 278 slugging. Um, Manny isn't a, and this isn't a slump. It's as simple as that. Manny's in a slump. He will come out of it, but right now it's slowing the entire offense down and, and, in reality, I mean, being in that number two hole, uh, he can't continue to hit like this and have the Orioles be a productive offense. And by all accounts, in July, the offense has been very mediocre at best. I think it was 16th in Major League Baseball for all of July. So with Manny Machado, this team goes, is what I think I said earlier this season. I'm going to hold to that. If Manny Machado continues to perform in this fashion, this team will not be a playoff team. So Manny Machado needs to get it turned around quickly or this team is quickly going to fall out of contention. Okay. I agree with you that Manny Machado uh, had a rough go of it. And I agree with you that as does go Manny Machado, so goes the offense. But he needs a little bit of help. And somebody that we've depended on recently has also had a rough go of it. So my bad is going to Adam Jones. And if you're going to cheat, fine, I'm going to cheat. I was going to say that he only had one hit this past week. But if you look at the last 14 days, the picture does not get a lot rosier. He's got a weight runs created plus of 82. And he's really, really struggling to get on base, uh, which is, you know, the thing that he's been doing so, so well lately. Uh, The thing is about Adam Jones is that this is just a, a slump. You know, and he'll push through it, but it's poorly timed, particularly because there are a lot of other starters that are also cold at the plate. Yep. All right, let's go to the ugly for the past two weeks. I'm going to go with Adriz Mardespana, who we talked about earlier in the show, who, yeah, he's gotten some innings in, but the peripherals are absolutely horrible. 1.35K per nine, 6.75 walks per nine. Uh, just really uh, an unfortunate, you know... Really unfortunate lines, all, all, all things. 5.4 ERA. It just, I don't know how long Odris Mordespania can stay up on this roster if he continues to pitch in that fashion. I realize that he's pitching a lot of times in junk time, but if you're going to have to throw a pitcher out there in junk time, it really needs to be a ball to menace if he's still on this roster. So, I and think, that's an important role he's in right now. Right. So I think the clock is ticking on Odris Mordespania. And as much as you are saying Chaz Rowe is the next one that probably would go down. I wouldn't be surprised if Adrius Mendespanier goes down since he has options and when Darren Odeka has come back potentially at the end of this week. So Adrius Mendespanier, you're on notice. Your clock is ticking. You're also the pitcher that sounds most like a Three Musketeers villain. Yes. All right, my ugly this week goes to Buck Showalter, a man who I respect greatly, and when he makes the occasional wrong call, I tend to defend pretty hardcore. I did not agree with Buck Showalter's use of his bullpen during Bunday Fun Day. Oof. It was very clear to everyone involved that Dylan Bundy was gassed yeah. in the last inning in which he appeared. And if it is important to this team that Dylan Bundy remain healthy, if it is, in, if it is important for this team to have Dylan Bundy 
a viable candidate for future starts or for future relief appearances or future years, you cannot blow out that arm. Dylan Bundy was sweating through his uniform. Dylan Bundy had lost velocity to the tune of five miles an hour. Wow. It was clear to me, who did not stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night, that Dylan Bundy did not have what it takes to be on that mound. And Buck Walter is way smarter than me, and Buck Walter should have known better. I defend the use of Dylan Bundy, period, but if you're going to use him, use him smart. And if you're going to use him in a situation in which you need him, make sure you have a backup plan. So Buck Showalter gets my ugly for this week. Well, the worst part is, too, he got him up like in between innings when uh, the Orioles were up, and they basically dry-humped him, too. So I'm just joking about that. But, yeah, the usage of Dylan Bundy this entire year has been odd in the bullpen and getting him up, getting him down, getting him up and getting him down. And then, yeah, like letting him kind of ride it out there and just sweat it out there. And I realized Buck probably wanted to get through four innings, but there was no chance he was getting through four innings. Everyone knew it um, when he, they started hitting the home runs. Was, he should have said, you got three innings, great. We'll go ahead and just do a spot start here and, and just move on from it. But, yeah, I wish it didn't come to this, but this is what we got to work with. Right. All right, let's go ahead and blow the save. I'm not sure how you're going to top that, but um, we'll try. All right, Scotty, uh, something I want to talk about. That's what this podcast is about, so. Listen to me, Orioles fans, baseball fans, music fans, Marylander, anybody. If you're listening to my voice right now, I want to tell you something. If you cannot take joy from the fact that the Bowie Bay Sox are for a single game changing their name to the Bowie Bay Sox to honor the late David Bowie, I don't want to know you. The Bay Sox are doing what minor league baseball teams do. They're desperately trying to claw attention to their product and doing something fun in the meantime. The Bowie Bay Sox of Bowie will be decked out in some fantastic uniforms inspired by Bowie stage outfits and will be sold for charity to uh, Feeding America. This is exactly what's right about minor league baseball and frankly, what's right about America. So listen, if anybody who's listening to my voice right now goes to that game, please take a lot of pictures, take a lot of uh, anecdotes from the the inter-inning entertainment available at Bowie, and please send them to us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com or uh, tweet or Snapchat us at birdseyeviewbal. That it? That'll do it. All right. Well... That was um, that was an interesting pull and save. That Bowie on the mind. Yeah, I personally like the ones. I think it was Frederick did the uh, Hey Arnold uh, ones. They do a Nickelodeon one every year. Yeah, that that was the ones I like this they year. They did Rugrats a couple years before that. Yeah, yeah it was nice. that was that was nice. Uh, anything else? No, Baltimore and Beyond. I have nothing left, so I will bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go. O's. Really no more singing. That's a shame. It's really not. That really does. We're going to gain so many more listeners now. I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, 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 we are. 
What's it going to take to get that genie out of that bottle? You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.